hot through to their Tuscan garden. Dunk. Dunk. But after eight years of interpretation, I know that it's the great man's feet stomping from one end of his room to the other. Every second stomp is heavier. That's the swipe of his puffer ski jacket against the stalagmites of paperbacks he keeps piled on the furniture. Zwap. The sound of his hold-all as he rotates at the end of the room. He sometimes flings it wide, hitting papers. Simon carries this bag about with him everywhere he goes, clutched in the crook of his arm, even if it's just to his front door to let in the gas man. Dunk, 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 zwap, dunk, dunk. Simon's bed is ten feet directly beneath mine. My study is on top of his living room. His stomping space extends the full depth of the building, under my floor. My balcony is the roof of his basement extension, which has herded all the pretty garden plants into a six-foot square at the back of our house and stamped them under concrete slabs. The phone rings. A charge from Simon. Dunk, dunk, dunk. Snorting. The receiver. Ring. Clank, clump, pump. Bing, bing wrenched from its holster. Attempts at speech, grunts, bangs of talk noise, a strangulated word. Clunk. Phone back in its holster. Silence. Dunk. 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 There's another very important sound, which is too difficult to represent typographically. An intermittent, twisted crackle, sharp but thick, with a strong sense of command, resting on a base of plosive disorder. In an exercise book from when he was five, there's a squiggle that comes close. It's the sound of plastic bag being opened in a hurry and the gratification of discovering important papers inside. Without understanding this noise, you cannot understand the man. Shh, dunk, zwap, zwap, dunk. Dunk. Simon has been pacing down there for twenty-seven years, three months, five days, thirteen hours, and eight minutes. Shh. Stop breathing. Did you catch that? Still another sort of noise? A sort of sigh? That was a thought. Chapter 3. Minus N. Your representation of me as interesting is inaccurate. I feel ashamed by it. Simon. Damn! He's gone! Simon's refused to enter the book. He is a minus Norton. Why now? I demanded, jumping up from the carpet when he stomped into my study from the basement. The reader has started the story. He's spent the money. He feels conned. How do you know it's a he who's reading it? It might be a she. Hmm. He or she, who cares? I presume they do, he said, cunningly. Behind him, a bubble of air floated up the stairs and expanded into my rooms of the house, whiffing of damp and sardines. Then he barged out of the front door, and the scuff of his sandals becoming rapidly soft and seaside-ish, disappeared towards the mathematics faculty. A 
about Simon that doesn't have Simon in it? I had thought a life of Simon would be tiptoeing on the edge of the shadow of God. Instead, he crashes about my study as though heel joints had never been invented, makes women shriek when they turn on the light in the corridor and find him standing there like an Easter Island statue, his hold all twists him into animal shapes, he hides behind envelopes. He shocks me awake with his snores. Writing biographies of living people, the subject is an irritant. Why is he needed? All he does is insist that whatever you've written is wrong. In fact, when Simon was part of the book, I had to run away from him. Wouldn't all biographies be better if they gave up trying to fix the person they're writing about and confined themselves to his glints and reflections? Not a biography of Simon, but of the perception of Simon. What is a biography anyway? A platter of...